Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, and I'm health editor at the Mail on Sunday. With me today, as ever, is Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. Does Oxford's COVID vaccine cause blood clots? Last week, health chiefs in 13 European countries halted use of the jab due to these concerns. And this was despite the World Health Organization, the Europeans Medicine Agency and our own health watchdogs saying they didn't think there was a link. Scores of experts have accused them of being overcautious, of fueling fear. Uh, What are your thoughts, Eve? I've been looking into it and at the moment in this country we've had about 30 blood clots associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine. And that's an association not uh, caused by? Yes, that's key. So it just so happens that the blood clots have happened within a certain time frame after the vaccine has taken place. Basically. And doctors have, say, reported that? Yeah. And something that I saw online that I thought was really interesting was this conversation about how we judge risk when it comes to medicines and vaccines. So, for instance, if we take the contraceptive pill, about 100 million people around the world take the pill every day. So um, pills. Yes. And the risk of blood clots with the pill is about one in a thousand. So actually, that's significantly higher than the risk of blood clots with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which at the moment is estimated at about one in a million and we still don't know that there's a direct link there. You're more likely to get struck by lightning, one in 500,000 chance I believe. Oh that's a great memorised fact. (laughs) Yes, yes. So going back to um, you know how these reports of blood clots have been charted in the UK we actually encourage patients and doctors to report any suspected uh, adverse event uh, that they think might be linked to a drug and it's being done with the Covid vaccine. You've been online and the These reports are available publicly. What are some of the reports that you've seen? Yes, so I think it's important to point out here that it is just an association. So you can have the jab on a Wednesday and then if by Friday you get a pain in your leg and you think, oh, I wonder if that's linked, you can then go and log this report on the, it's called the yellow card scheme. So some of them are very interesting. There's some which you could theoretically actually think, Okay, it makes sense that might be linked to the vaccine. So there's been 136 cases of oral herpes, which is otherwise known as cold sores. Um, And we know that the immune system is involved in the development of cold sores. So that sort of makes sense. Kind of similarly, 53 reports of falls. So just falling over. And I guess some people might be shaky after they've had their vaccine or something like that. But there are some more interesting reports. My, my absolute favourite, there's been one report of something quite miraculous. Yes, you would never expect it. So one person logged pregnancy. Incredible. Yes. What's in the jab? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure this person's wondering the same. Of course, concerns about blood clots are genuine. You know, the European leaders wouldn't have behaved in in the way that they have if they didn't believe that there was a cause for concern. So before we go any further, I think we should speak to an expert who can tell us the latest. On the line now is Adam Finn, Professor of Paediatrics at the University of Bristol and a government vaccine advisor. Professor Finn, thank you for finding some time to speak to us. I want to get the latest on this story. What's been decided? Is there a chance that the COVID jab could cause blood clots? There is a chance. Um, If it exists at all as a problem, it's an extraordinarily rare one. And it's certainly not yet understood how this could come about. It's also not clear whether any of the other vaccines might do this as well. But it's also equally possible that these 
uh, unusual cases are not in any way related to the vaccination and could even conceivably be a consequence of COVID itself, which people have had un unwittingly and then gone on to get complications from as it happens after they receive vaccines. So there's lots of uncertainty around this. Given the uncertainty, why are we not doing the same as other European countries and pausing use of the Oxford jab while it's further investigated? The reason is that it makes absolute sense if you're an individual uh, faced with the choice at this moment of what to do, that you should, uh, you should take the vaccine because that is the thing that will reduce your risk of getting seriously ill or dying. Your risk of getting covid are still substantial at the present time. It's a serious illness, even in younger people, um, and it can have long-term consequences. And this vaccine, we do know, without any shadow of doubt, is highly effective at preventing that from happening. Whereas there's a theoretical possibility that of around one in a million chance that this vaccine might be causing a side effect that we still don't know about on the other side of the scales. So the choice is completely obvious, and therefore to withhold the vaccine from people is essentially uh, just a way of costing people's health and causing unnecessary death. We've uh, heard reports from Norwegian doctors who feel adamant that there's some kind of immune response being caused by the vaccine. And there's been other reports that have said that it might be because of the jab being injected wrongly, triggering a blood clot. Have you heard any of those stories? Uh, well, I've certainly seen accounts of the cases from Norway as well as cases uh, in this country and the ca cases in Germany and so on. Uh, and, of course, the physicians dealing with these patients will describe uh, what they're seeing. Uh, in, you know, they, they'll give you the details of the, the patients that they're confronted with. I think in terms of possible mechanisms, that's entirely speculative at this point. That nobody knows why these people are falling sick and what the mechanism might be or indeed whether they're falling sick in a way that we wouldn't otherwise expect to happen all of the time. So it's just that there's been a cluster of unusual cases being reported. So at this point, we really don't know whether the vaccine is responsible, and we certainly don't know what the mechanism is. I want to go back to something that you said. We know that there is a big blood clot risk from COVID itself. Could you explain that more clearly? Definitely a higher risk. And for that reason, as was mentioned from the uh, spokeswoman from the European Medicine Agency, even if you only focus on the risk of blood clots, you're probably going to reduce those risks by having this vaccine and therefore not getting COVID, which can cause blood clots, rather than in any way increase your risks as, as some theoretical side effect of the vaccine. Germany have now restarted uh, use of the jab and said that they halted use in order to inspire public trust. What do you say to that approach? Well, I think uh, experts in this field, and I have colleagues here in Bristol who I work with on this, are very divided on this. Of course, uh, there is an argument that being cautious, you know, going carefully uh, inspires public confidence. But the counter argument is that giving a kind of uh, changing message, so one, one day saying, well, you shouldn't be having the vaccine, and then the next day saying you should, doesn't inspire confidence and, and actually creates uncertainty and confusion. And I have to say, personally, I, I'm inclined towards the second theory. I, I tend to think that, you know, we need to go steady with these things. We need to not put out mixed messages. We need to not do a sort of start-stop type of thing, because in the end, people just get confused and don't know what to do. 
uh, I think it's much better to, to be transparent with people, to keep things on a steady course, uh, and only to change course when you really know that there's a need to do that. Thanks so much for your time, Professor Finn. I just want to go back to that claim from German health chiefs saying that they had behaved in this way in order to inspire confidence. I could not disagree more. I mean, what do you think? I agree with you, but I also think perhaps there's some sort of cultural difference here that perhaps we see confidence in a different way to how some people in Europe might see it. I don't know. I mean, for us, that would be obviously a big red flag if the MHRA decided to pause the the vaccination programme, we'd think, well, it means it's bad, but perhaps other people interpret that differently. But, you know, consistency is is key. And I I think that the European country's decision has been an epic fail, I'd say, in terms of public health messaging. I think it's going to cause deaths. Well, we'll we'll see, won't we? I, I think it's important what you just said about cultural differences to uh, hear from a scientist in one of the countries that kicked off this this whole debate. We've got Dr. Gunveg Grödland, a researcher at the Department for Immunology at the University of Oslo, on the line. Uh, Dr. Grödland, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us. Concerns began last week after the death of a Danish woman in her 60s. The case was reported and then concerns mounted when further cases of uh, side effects emerged in, in Norway. Could you talk me through the, I suppose, the timeline of events as you saw them? Uh, yes, uh, as you say, it began with the case in uh, Denmark uh, and uh, following that event, Uh, the uh, Norwegian uh, government and the National Institute of Public Health decided to halt further vaccinations in uh, Norway with the AstraZeneca vaccine in order to allow some time to investigate what actually had been going on. Uh, And uh, then uh, shortly uh, thereafter, uh, we had a fatality uh, where a female in her 30s died within 10 days after uh, vaccination. And uh, then uh, now on Sunday, we had another uh, death in Norway where a woman who was uh, less than 50 years, uh, she died uh, within a week after vaccination. And at present, we have two more cases that are in hospital with symptoms very much similar to the uh, woman who died on uh, Sunday. And is it thought that the vaccine has caused this? Is that what the health authorities there believe? Uh, Well, believe is probably quite uh, strong. I would say that uh, the vaccination has been halted in order to investigate if there is a potential link between the vaccine and these cases. As of now, uh, there are no claims either in, well, any places that there actually is such a link. But Uh, due to the severity of these cases and also the shortness in between them and the peculiar timeline after vaccination, uh, it's important to actually investigate to see if there is indeed a potential link. And they all had similar problems. Can you explain what was seen? What is seen in uh, these uh, three uh, last cases is that they have a formation of blood clots in small and uh, large uh, vessels and that this is linked to a low number of blood platelets as well as uh, internal bleeding. 
Uh, and the combination of these is uh, quite uh, rare, even though blood clot formation is fairly common. So I think the rareness of this combination uh, would warrant a further uh, investigation. And you told me earlier when we spoke that in uh, Norway, at least, there is a great deal of sensitivity towards vaccination and side effects because of events in 2009 uh, with the pandemic swine flu vaccine. There were quite bad side effects seen then, very specifically in Northern Europeans. Is that right? Uh, that is uh, correct. And uh, there seemed to be a genetic linkage in particularly well, Scandinavian and Norwegian population with respect to uh, the number of people who would get uh, the rare side effect of uh, narcolepsy. And uh, so I think, uh, well, both in 2009 and since, there has been a very high awareness that vaccinations may sometimes cause uh, adverse events uh, in uh, Norway. Uh, So when we had uh, these cases, of course, people would immediately think back to 2009, where there was indeed demonstrated a link between the uh, influenza vaccine used then and uh, narcolepsy. And the question was then, of course, posed if this is indeed what we are now also seeing. And of course, there's a large degree of anxiety uh, related to the potential uh, link here. And so it would be more of a political decision to halt vaccination than necessarily a scientific one. The caution would come from the politicians. I think uh, to a large uh, degree, uh, yes, because uh, nobody, and even in Norwegian media, they have been very careful to emphasise that there has been no direct linkage yet between the vaccine and uh, this uh, severe uh, side effect. But even so, on the background, I mean, we depend on vaccination of the, a large portion of the population in order uh, to um, achieve herd immunity and prevent uh, further uh, development of the pandemic. And in order to achieve that, it's really important, of course, that the population will trust the vaccine development and also how it is uh, followed up in society. So I think if the authorities had not answered that anxiety, and uh, I think fairly relevant uh, given these uh, cases, then uh, we would have a problem with trust in the future. Mm. It's interesting that the caution would inspire trust, perhaps, in Norway. And yet the reports that we're now hearing is that people are refusing to have the AstraZeneca jab here in the UK because they've heard these reports and they are frightened. So perhaps the way the story is transmitted, um, it could have the opposite effect and, and undermine confidence. Is that something that would concern you? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but uh, I think Norway uh, is in a situation where we are used to uh, the government and the authorities communicating very clearly what the issue is, for better and for worse. Uh, And I think this is a strength uh, in the pandemic. All uh, the way through, the Norwegian Institute of Public Health, as well as the government, has been very very open uh, about which uncertainties exist and what we know. And I think... Therefore, communication in uh, Norway, if anyone had in any way attempted to 
cover this up or even being perceived as covering it up uh, or trying to uh, reduce the potential uh, link between the vaccine and the adverse events, we would in Norway have been far worse off. So now I see uh, that this is interpreted differently internationally. And if you think uh, back to early this year, uh, we had uh, a similar case where in Norway we had deaths in the uh, most elderly part of the population following uh, vaccination. And they would die within a couple of days after uh, vaccination. And these were people who were um, terminally ill or close to uh, being terminal. So their deaths were not unexpected and not related to vaccination. Uh, but, you know, still in Norway, it was reported, uh, which led to headlines. I noticed at least in China and uh, Russia uh, of vaccination being dangerous in uh, Norway. And this, I think, was the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Uh, but still in Norway, this was communicated uh, very clearly. Uh, so anything but openness would not work in Norway, honestly. Dr. Grudland, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us. Now, I know we made light of it earlier, but the yellow card system is, you know, the way in which we monitor drug safety. It's a, a great system and shows, I think, how safe things have become, how transparent the system is, that nothing's hushed up, which is one of these uh, accusations that certainly anti-vaxxers make in this uh, whole debate. Now, you've got someone on the line who can explain exactly how this whole system works. Yes. Joining us now is Julian Tang, who is a clinical virologist at the Leicester Royal Infirmary. Julian, how do the health authorities monitor the safety of vaccines and medicines? Uh, well, I mean, there's several systems to do this, but probably the one that's most uh, common is uh, the so-called yellow card system. Uh, if you, the patient or your doctor thinks that you've had an adverse effect uh, to a medicine that has been prescribed or to a vaccine that's been given, uh, you or the doctor can actually log into this yellow card system online and file a report about the adverse effect. So for example, if you had a tablet prescribed by your doctor or even one you just bought over the counter and you get some kind of fever rash reaction to it, you, the patient, or the, you can go to see your doctor who can do it for you, can actually file a report online um, that gives details of this adverse effect, uh, some of your own details and some of your doctor's details if you want to do that, and send this to the MHRA. And they will then look at it and see whether it's within the known boundaries of exposed adverse effects from that, for that particular vaccine or medication. And then they will file it away accordingly. And if it's unusual, they may come back to you and say, you know, a bit more detail about what happened and the timing of that and the type of drug you took and how much of it you took and whether you're taking any of the drugs with it that may also contribute to that adverse effect. And this is called a passive surveillance system. So it relies on voluntary reports by people. So some people may not be aware that what they're experiencing is an adverse effect and not reported. So it is, it's possible you may miss some. And our yellow card system, is it very specific to the UK? So do other countries have different ways in which they report these kind of problems or issues? Well, I only know about the US system. The US certainly has something very similar. It's also passive surveillance where people voluntarily report things. Um, I'm sure the European countries all have their own local reporting systems as well, uh, which probably work in the same way because it's quite hard to do active surveillance where you actually ask everybody who's had a certain de uh, vaccine or medicine 
what adverse effect they've, they've had. It's quite labor intensive to do that. So most of it's actually voluntary and passive. So you may miss some unusual effects that people don't realize actual adverse effects to that medicine or vaccine, for example. And do you think there's a difference in, for instance, in Norway, you've seen that they've been very actively counting and reporting these problems um, and been quite vocal about them to the population. It seems that we're quite different in our approach and that we don't do that. Do you think that that's just a kind of cultural thing? Possibly, but if you look back to the pandemic vaccines back in 2009, 2010, uh, one of the vaccines caused a side effect called narcolepsy in some of the Scandinavian children. So the Scandinavian teams may be much more aware of vaccine uh, potential adverse effects uh, that may be real than elsewhere that where they didn't really have so many of these, these issues with vaccines. So they may have been alerted and have more heightened awareness because of that event uh, with Pandemrix's 2009 flu vaccine that rolled out then. Hmm. Julian, given how many people are vaccinated now, do you think it's likely we're going to see more of these rare side effects? And should we just sort of accept that this is going to happen? Yes, because don't forget the vaccine is generally safer than getting the disease itself. So you need to put it in that perspective. With other vaccines, for example, flu and yellow fever, MMR, rosavirus, which are done on a large scale, including things like hepatitis B for healthcare workers and now babies, you will get a you know, a very low incidence of potentially vaccine-related adverse effects, but then it becomes very difficult with those very rare effects to separate them from background incidents of those effects anyway that might occur just by random in the population. And one could argue that, uh, as people have been doing recently, uh, the risk of severe disease and death from COVID-19 far outweighs any very rare side effects from the vaccines that people are taking to prevent COVID-19 disease. So on that balance of risk, Uh, getting the vaccine is safer than actually waiting to get the disease instead. But is it right to pause the vaccination programme given the risk of COVID itself? I think right and wrong is in the eyes of the beholder. I mean, certainly if you look at the the bare facts, the risk of COVID is worse than the risk of severe disease and death from COVID is certainly worse than the risk of severe adverse effects from the vaccine. It does seem a rather extreme response. I also understand the individual countries' concerns about different vaccines and different uh, adverse effect profiles that they, they may be concerned with to stop it for a while, stop the lot for a while, whilst they investigate further uh, what might be causing these adverse effects that have been reported. Mm. Professor Julian Tang, thank you very much for your time. You can listen to Medical Minefield for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's a funny thing, risk, really, isn't it? You know, we don't think anything of leaving the house and uh, getting in a car, although we've got something like a one in 300 chance of getting uh, killed in a road accident, I believe, during a lifetime. And, uh, you know, you you don't consider these things. When you take a medicine, you read the back of the packet and you think, you know. But in fact, liver damage from taking paracetamol, um, as uh, Jonathan Van Tam pointed out this week, was, you know, serious concern it happened people are killed by this every year again no one talks about it yeah absolutely and similarly as i was saying before with the contraceptive pill i mean this is only something that's arisen now that we're talking about blood clots that it's drawn attention to this problem the risk of blood clots with covid is pretty big i saw something saying that sort of 30 percent of patients hospitalized suffer some kind of clotting disorder I think the idea of anything that would discourage people from taking the vaccine, which has been shown to stop hospitalizations, 
I mean, why would you make that risk benefit analysis and come to any other conclusion than, you know, it's absolutely worth having it? I think the other thing that's really important to point out is that the vaccine is our way out of all of this. So I just think everyone's got to do it, you know? Absolutely. And of course, what's what's made me laugh is there's so many people who were saying, oh, the risk is so low now of COVID. It's fine. I can go on holiday when the borders open, etc. And then these are the same people who this has come out about the blood clots, which is one in a million chance, if that. And all of a sudden they're petrified about the vaccine, which just seems ridiculous. And of course, you know, politics has played into this massively. Yes, some of my Norwegian contacts have told me that there's ill will between AstraZeneca, the British company, and Norway and other European countries because they haven't been given enough of the AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, now all the European countries seem to be reversing their decisions and restarting using the jab. So one hopes that this whole saga will now be behind us. That's all we have time for today. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to all our podcasts free and in full. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.